Um, thanks so much for coming out. So I'm going to talk a little bit about sexual deception and consent. So I'm going to start with an observation. We lie, right? We've all feigned interest in boring conversations. We've all paid insincere compliments at one point or another. Many of us have embellished a tall tale to get more laughs. And by all accounts, it turns out that we're even more disposed towards deceptive and exaggerated self-presentation when sex is on the table. So most people meet their sexual partners online, and if the data are to be believed, few people are scrupulously honest in their profiles. Rather depressingly, men tend to lie about their height, women, their weight. Everyone lies about their interests. There's a lot of hikers out there, right? So like, unless we're talking about serious romantic fraud, you know, catfishing and the alike, we tend to cut lies moral slack. Like, of course we might accept lies can invalidate consent. Of course we might agree it's seriously morally wrong to have sex without valid consent. But it just seems like moral overkill to say that your consent to sex with me is invalidated by my pretense to love UK Garage any more than uh, mine is invalidated by your pretense to have read the bell jar, right? So it just seems like, you know, minor deception is just part and parcel of the art of seduction. Now, there is reason for caution here, right? That art has come in for a re-examination in recent years. And the Me Too movement has certainly drawn our attention to the prevalence of, you know, shockingly high sexual, unwanted sexual advances, non-consensual sexual acts. And the revelations that have emerged have led many of us to reconsider actions and actors that were given a pass. But even if we set Me Too aside, a lenient attitude towards even minor sexual deception is actually pretty philosophically puzzling. When you turn your attention to the way that consent operates in other domains, you see that even minor deception is taken pretty seriously. So, you know, a seemingly trivial but fraudulent misrepresentation could render a legal contract null and void, benevolent deception on the part of a doctor, a couple of lies to nudge you towards that surgery you really need, that could invalidate consent. So you can start to see the puzzle. If the conditions for valid consent to sex aren't any different from the conditions for valid consent to a contract or a medical procedure, then in the absence of a difference being established, we should either take a more lenient stance to deception in those other domains, or we should take deception in sex more seriously. So why might we take sexual deception more seriously, even minor sexual deception? Well, I think it helps to get clear at this point on what consent is, and we can do that by thinking a little bit about rights and duties. So everyone here is a rights holder. You have rights over your body. You have rights over your property. That correlates with duties on others not to interfere with you. So imagine, for example, that you're throwing a party. Right? You have a right against other people that they not attend that party without your permission. Others have a duty not to gatecrash the party. But unless you're content to party alone, right, you're going to want to waive some of those rights. You're going to want to release specific people from the duty not to attend your party. And it turns out that you can do just that by consenting to people attending by issuing invitations. But how do we determine exactly what someone's consented to when they've given consent? Well, it's natural to think that the contours of consent are determined by what the person giving consent intended that consent to cover. 
So the philosopher Tom Doherty, who used to hold a version of this view, said that for consent to be valid, quote, it has to be the case that were the consent giver aware of any of the features of the event, they would still have to be happy to go along with it, end of quote. Now, this view does seem to explain how even seemingly trivial lies could invalidate consent. The lie can conceal a deal-breaker. It can conceal a fact or a set of facts that the person giving consent did not intend their consent to cover. So you consented to sex with a person fan of UK Garage. You did not, and let's suppose you would not have consented to sex with someone indifferent to UK Garage. So what happened, having sex with someone largely indifferent to UK Garage, was not something that you would have been happy to go along with had you known about it. Now, there's something quite intuitive about that view. I mean, there is something kind of fishy about that gap between what happens and what you thought you were permitting, what you intended your consent to cover. But this view has problems. So one of the problems is that it collapses the moral difference between acts that we didn't give valid consent to and acts that we did give valid consent to we've just come to regret. So to see the problem, consider a pair of cases in which you sincerely disapprove of adultery, right? So in the first case, you ask your potential sexual partner whether they're in a relationship, you make it quite clear that cheating is a no-no for you. And despite being married, they tell you that they're single, you have sex, right? Seems like your consent is invalid, and the view I've just described can explain why, right? You consented to sex with person not in a relationship. You did not, and you made it quite clear you would not consent to sex with person in a relationship. But now think about a variant, a second case, where you're told the truth, but overcome by lust, you have sex anyway, right? Afterwards, you're totally wracked with guilt. Had you known how lousy it would feel to like, abandon your deeply held principles on a carnal whim, right? You would never have done it. Most people think, look, your consent's valid. You've just come to regret an injudicious decision. But the view I've just described to you, that intentions view, it can't explain the distinction that our intuitions track here. It tells us that your consent is invalid in that second case because you object to a feature of the act, namely sex with person in a relationship, and knowing what you do now about how lousy it feels to commit adultery, you wouldn't be happy to continue with that sexual encounter. So perhaps we shouldn't rely on that view to help us explain sort of how and why sexual deception can invalidate consent. So let's try another view. This is the control view. So it's widely agreed that for consent to be valid, it has to be voluntary. It has to be given freely, right? So we wouldn't judge your consent to sex valid if you only agreed because the person you're having sex with have threatened to post intimate photos of you online, right? In that situation, we'd say your consent was controlled by the threat to post pictures of you online, and that rendered it insufficiently voluntary. But notice that coercion is not the only way. It's often the most effective way to control somebody else's consent decision. If I know something about you that's relevant to your decision about whether to give consent, if I have reason to think that that fact would be dispositive or a deal-breaker, then I'm in a position to exercise some control over your decision. So while it might seem odd to think that someone's musical taste could be relevant to or even the determination, the determining factor of whether they would have sex with you, if I know it makes a difference to you and I lie about it, 
then I've exercised some control over your consent decision. And that control could render your consent insufficiently voluntary to be valid. And notice that the control is really illegitimate because it's the decision about whether to have sex with me is rightfully your decision, not mine to make. Now, that explanation, which I'm a bit more partial to, it's also got its problems, right? Nothing's free of problems. What if the information that I know and have reason to think would be really relevant to your decision is also something that I have a strong and legitimate interest in keeping private? You know, what if, for example, I have a history of sex work? Don't I get to keep that information private? Do I have to disclose this to somebody else? So I'm inclined to think at this point, yes, you do have a right to privacy, but it's important to keep in mind that you don't also have a right against anyone else that they have sex with you. So if I know some fact that I have a right to keep private, but I also have reason to think that it would be a deal breaker for you, then the right to privacy is just that. I'm allowed to keep the information private, but I'm not permitted to go further and have sex with you when I know that that fact would be a deal breaker. So I'm going to finish up here and try and take stock. So I think there are some good reasons to think that even seemingly trivial lies could invalidate consent to sex. It's a bit of a downer conclusion. But um, I would say that it's, it's really the same kinds of considerations we see in other domains are the considerations that are relevant here too. And while neither explanation that I've given you is like fully unproblematic, I think both do caution us against sort of simply shrugging and thinking that seemingly trivial deception is just bad behavior. All right, thanks very much.